Hello, and welcome to Real People. I'm your host, Errol Teichert, and today we're just going to be talking about some movies from 2019. Uh, now keep in mind, there's still a lot of stuff I need to see from 2019. I still need to see 1917, uh, The Irishman, Little Women, Frozen 2, Shazam, Uncut Gems, Just Mercy, Bombshell, uh, The Two Popes, The Report, Honey Boy, uh, Peanut Butter Falcon, Jojo Rabbit, The Lighthouse, Doctor Sleep, Parasite, you know, just a few movies. Um, but this year I watched a lot of good movies. Um, there are some great things happening in movies right now. And I've noticed that the divide between critics and the average moviegoer has become more and more apparent, which has... there are good and bad things about that. Uh, but we'll, we'll be talking about that as time goes on. Uh, right now, I just want to look back on some stuff I watched this year and give you guys a better idea of what kind of movies I respond to. So without much further ado, let's kick it off. Uh, the Lego Movie 2... I was looking forward to this movie for a long time. Ended up being a decent, uh, likable sequel that unfortunately overstays its welcome by about 20 minutes. Uh, but for the most part, it's funny, it's self-aware, and the ending is particularly emotional. I don't envy the task that they had to live up to the first Lego movie, which was awesome and hilarious. So I think they did a pretty good job, given how high the expectation was. Alita Battle Angel was much more liked by audiences than critics. Uh, critics give that one a 61%, and audiences give that one a 93% on the tomato meter. Um, personally, I kind of found myself on the critics' side with Alita. The visual effects are incredible, but the story left me wanting. Um, they play this sport in the movie that's called Motorball. Uh, that whole segment of the film is awesome. I would have adored the movie if it had been all about Motorball. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, is the best-looking chapter in the How to Train Your Dragon series. Absolutely beautiful to look at. Slightly messy plot-wise. Some characters were dumbed down a little too much. Some choices didn't really make sense. But the film does achieve its objective of ending the trilogy with an emotional send-off. And I would say that with How to Train Your Dragon 1 through 3, DreamWorks has cemented that series as their best and most mature franchise. Uh, Detective Pikachu was funnier than it had any right to be. Kind of shows how a PG-rated Deadpool could work in the more family-friendly Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Ryan Reynolds is really funny as Pikachu. And the, the movie's solid. It, it works pretty well and I think was better than it had any right to be. John Wick 3 continues the John Wick franchise's admirable dedication to absolutely bonkers action set pieces and clear, precise filmmaking. This is a movie where there's no shaky cam in the fight scenes, there's no uh, quick cuts. It's all long cuts, good choreography, and steady camera, and I'm a sucker for that. Unfortunately, the movie does overstay its welcome by about 20 minutes, with an especially long fight scene at the end that could have had five minutes trimmed off of it and probably still would have been too long. Um, Toy Story 4 has the distinction of being the only movie of the year that made me audibly weep. Um, Pixar once again proves that they're the best animators in the business and certainly among the best storytellers. Um, while it could be argued that the film is unnecessary, it justifies its existence by giving well-earned and emotional closure 
to characters that have been with many of us for all of our lives. And it certainly doesn't hurt that the film visually is an absolute knockout, has easily some of the finest computer animation I've ever seen in my entire life. So definitely watch Toy Story 4. It's it's great. Yesterday was my most anticipated movie of the year, and while it didn't exactly disappoint, it didn't necessarily make the best use that it could have of its unique and inventive premise. That being said, it was a pretty groovy good time at the movies, and an interesting result of mashing uh, screenwriter Richard Curtis with the style of Danny Boyle as a director. The film features some really great performances. Um, Himesh Patel and Lily James are fantastic in it. The musical numbers that are there are wonderful, but there aren't nearly enough of them. There aren't enough moments where we get to hear a full Beatles song. And given that the movie is about the power of their music, uh, that seems like a bit of a crime. But if you if you if you go in um, expecting a good romantic comedy um, featuring Beatles music, you're not going to be disappointed. Midsummer was deeply unnerving, but also a pretty entrancing piece of horror from Ari Aster. Definitely not for the faint of heart or stomach, but Aster uses the daylight setting of his film to beautiful effect really creating some very chilling tension that's set in broad daylight. And on top of that, uh, the characters are really well fleshed out, and the film makes you think, especially in the last ten minutes, which are haunting. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a sprawling epic that I give due credit. Um, Some great performances by Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie gives this angelic performance as Sharon Tate. This is some of Quentin Tarantino's best work, as a director in years, um, even if I don't know how to feel about its ending. I have to give the film credit for being as big as it is, but managing to find a pretty intimate scope to look at the, the story through. And also, I think this film has more heart than Tarantino's usual work, so that was kind of a pleasant surprise. Blinded by the Light was beautifully written and remarkably acted, It's a piece about family and dreams wrapped in this attractive box that perfectly captures what it feels like to discover a music artist. If you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen or if you're just a fan of well-made cinema, definitely check out Blinded by the Light. It Chapter 2 was hilarious and extremely well acted by a very game cast. Bill Hader and uh, the guy who plays grown-up Eddie, whose name I can't remember right now. They're both hysterical. But the unfortunate part is that while it's funny, it wasn't as scary as It Chapter 1. It Chapter 1 had this really amazing balance of being both hilarious and genuinely frightening. And It Chapter 2 definitely has more humor than scares. However, in spite of both being not as scary and being too long, the ending of the film leaves you feeling good about what you just watched. Personally, I left the film thinking about all the love in my life, which is a really interesting reaction to have to a movie about uh, demon clowns uh, eating children. So <laughs> uh, definitely, if you're if you're into Stephen King, if you like a good horror movie that actually has a pretty good message and themes about friendship, definitely check that out. 
it's a great coming of age story as well. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home was a lot of fun. I probably liked it a little less than some people, but Tom Holland and his portrayal of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, as well as some imaginative action scenes, definitely earned the film a place among the better big screen Spider-Man films. One thing that I will say is that Sony will need to step up their game if they want to have more movies in the godlike tier of Into the Spider-Verse. Making more of these MCU-dependent Spider-Man movies isn't going to put their films up there. They can have the connections to the MCU, but they need to be able to function as stories on their own. And that's the thing that really holds it back from being as great as it could be. I just recently saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. If you're a fan of Mr. Rogers, and so, like, if you're a human being, basically, I highly, highly, highly recommend A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. What I thought was interesting was it was not a Mr. Rogers biopic. It's a very heartfelt and well-written character study that has Mr. Rogers as a prominent player. And I think given what they were trying to do, do as far as showing his impact, um, that was the right call. And of course, Tom Hanks is is really fantastic in it. But I think the MVP of that movie is the actor who plays the main character. Um, Ford versus Ferrari was excellent. Uh, Matt Damon and Christian Bale are both terrific in it, and they play really well off each other. This is James Mangold's first major release after Logan. And I think it's um, it proves to be a, a pretty exhilarating ride of a movie with a lot of great racing sequences and some really good character drama in there. So we've talked a little bit about just some of the stuff I saw this year, some of my thoughts on that. But now I want to talk about a few films that I consider kind of the big hitters of the year. Ones that made, for better or worse, a pretty notable impact on on cinema this year. So the first one we're going to be talking about is Rocket Man. Um, personally, I think this is probably my favorite movie of the year still. Uh, I have to see, as I've said, I have to see a bunch of others to make that call. But Rocket Man is a wildly entertaining musical that captures the highs and lows of Elton John's remarkable career. I'm a big, big Elton John fan, and I'm a big Queen fan too, actually. And while I felt like Bohemian Rhapsody was more of a collection of snapshots from the history of Queen, Rocket Man has a much clearer character arc for the life of Elton John. And the themes that it discusses are a lot more distinct and clear and a lot more effectively communicated. I liked Bohemian Rhapsody, and I think that... The Live Aid sequence, the last 20 minutes of that film, were some of the best moments of movies in 2018. But all things considered, I personally think Rocket Man is everything that Bohemian Rhapsody should have been. Um, If you're an Elton John fan, uh, it's an absolute must. Also, on a side note, I am loving this recent trend of music movies or biopics about famous musicians. You know, you got Sing Street, uh, Star is Born, um, Rocket Man, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Blinded by the Light kind of fits into that category. 
yesterday. Um, we've got a David Bowie biopic coming up here, um, which should be really interesting, although I don't like that they're calling it Stardust because that name has already been taken by an excellent movie. But anyway, I'm loving this trend. That's all I want to say. Oh, Captain Marvel. Marvel had a big year this year. All right, three huge releases. That's nothing to shake a stick at. However, despite having its moments, I think Captain Marvel was the worst Marvel release in some time. Maybe since Thor The Dark World. Captain Marvel seemed to care more about having a strong female character at its center than giving us any idea where that strength really comes from. She is an absolute Mary Sue. She accomplishes everything with the absolute greatest of ease. There's this moment that kind of perfectly captures what I'm talking about, where Carol Danvers, or, you know, Captain Marvel, crashes to Earth, and she's never been to this planet before. And the first thing she does after blowing up a blockbuster, which made me sad, by the way, is she goes to Radio Shack, she steals a bunch of electronics, and then attempts to build a communicator that can reach her group on their ship that is thousands of light years away across the galaxy. And you know what? It works! She doesn't fail at anything she does in this movie. And it's absolutely frustrating. She accomplishes everything too easily. There are a ton of deus ex machinas. Um, and and it's, just, it's just frustrating writing. Um, there are a couple bright points. Uh, Brie Larson is magnetic. Um, I, I love her. She's one of my favorite actresses. Uh, and they do a really good job portraying her relationship with her best friend. Uh, that's a very powerful subplot of the film, and really I think it should have been the focus of the main plot, but that wouldn't have had enough action, so they weren't going to do that. Um, young Nick Fury is a lot of fun. Samuel L. Jackson is very clearly having a lot of fun playing a younger version of himself, and the CGI de-aging technology. We see with young Nick Fury just how far that's come. But on the whole... I would say Wonder Woman uh, accomplished everything that Captain Marvel wanted to do and did it first. So Captain Marvel kind of just feels like the silver medal. But, as I said earlier, Marvel has had a great year. Because even though I didn't like Captain Marvel all that much, it made a billion dollars. But the real winner is Avengers Endgame. Okay, if you've been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe you have seen Avengers Endgame. And it is, I'm telling you, the biggest movie since Lord of the Rings. And it's just as long. It is three hours. It is a bona fide epic. But you know what? Avengers Endgame earns every second of its epic three-hour runtime. Okay? There is not a moment wasted in this film. It is the ultimate reward for people who have invested their time in the MCU, and it is a love letter to its fans. One that doesn't end up being too pandering, and it sends several characters into the sunset with aplomb. If you're into Marvel and you haven't seen this movie, stop listening to this podcast. Go watch it. It's on Disney+, and then come back. 
Uh, let's see, let's see. Ooh, uh, Booksmart. Booksmart uh, was one of the biggest surprises of the year for me. Not because it looked like it would be bad, but I've watched a lot of high school movies, and after so many hundreds of them, they all start to kind of feel the same. Booksmart stands out for being unique and likable, um, with an extremely witty script and very relatable characters who are played by extremely capable performers. And then it takes everything it does and dials it up to 11, just turns it up to this bonkers level of extreme that takes some cojones, and I'm super happy about that. I would say that even though it was not one of my more anticipated releases of the year, Booksmart has proven itself to be almost peerless in the crowded genre of teen movies, though I think I liked Lady Bird better. Lady Bird was fantastic, though. Booksmart deserves its near-universal praise for its moving portrayal of the very realistic friendship that we see at its center. Definitely check out Booksmart if you can handle all of the language and frank talk about sex and stuff. It's, it's excellent. The Lion King! Oh, man. Disney had a year this year, didn't they? They've released, like, what... Six films that have made over a billion dollars, for crying out loud. And among those was the Lion King remake, which, as you probably know, was almost exactly like the original film, but done with photorealistic CGI. <sighs> I feel let down by this movie, because it was stunningly rendered it has, and I'm not kidding, the best CGI I've ever seen in my entire life. And that is what makes it so tragic that the film ends up being mediocre. It represents everything that's wrong with the modern Disney model. It is a soulless remake of something that was perfect already. And it does not do enough to earn the prestige that its outstanding visuals deserve. All right, uh, the remake of the Jungle Book, which was also which was done by the same director as this new Lion King, it was good because it did some things differently from the original film, and took on a different tone. And I would also say it removed some elements of the original film that were a offensive, and b just bogged the film down. But I would say. The Lion King doubles down on elements that weigh it down. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that is just needless. And as good as the CGI is, that ends up having a kind of crippling effect because it's hard to get an emotional performance out of a photorealistic lion when that lion can't emote. So really, Lion King just kind of ended up feeling a lot more like a two-and-a-half-hour tech demo rather than the labor of love that it should have been. And th that's the problem. These Disney remakes are plagued with these kinds of criticisms, but they're all making billions of dollars at the box office. If we want these mediocre remakes to stop, 
we need to stop giving them money. We need to stop making these movies billion-dollar hits. Let's go and see something original, or at very least, something that's different from the property it's trying to remake. Um, Joker was a peculiar Frankenstein monster of a movie. It brings together elements of a lot of other films to work. You know, you start with Taxi Driver kind of as your template, and you add a dash of like, I don't know, like one-hour photo with Robin Williams um, and some elements of the Purge franchise, except the film doesn't exemplify wasted potential like those movies do. And then on top of that, slap a Batman skin on it. And the result, instead of feeling like kind of a mishmash hodgepodge of a movie, is this grimy, pitch-black indictment of mental health stigma. And the power of it is undeniable. Like, it's not perfect, but what it does well, it does very well. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is phenomenal in it, as pretty much anybody who has followed his career knew that he would be. And Todd Phillips' confident, assured writing and direction make for several haunting and intense moments. Um, It's kind of amazing to me that this guy went from directing comedies like Old School and The Hangover to doing work that's legitimately powerful. You know, this could have been a bland, needless cash cow of a spinoff, but it has a lot of ingredients that, while borrowed, are very well assembled, and it ends up being an effective and powerful character study. I really enjoyed Joker. Speaking of haunting, um, the film Us was an amazing second outing for Jordan Peele, cementing him as one of the best directors going today. Uh, His filmmaking is tight and immaculate, and the film is a master class in building and relieving tension. Um, There are several moments where just when it feels like the tension is going to just boil over the top or explode, we are allowed to relieve tension with a laugh. And it always comes in at the absolute perfect time. It's freaking marvelous. The only time the film the only time the film stumbles is when it tries to explain itself too much. There's a lot of imagery in here that is literal, a lot that is symbolic, and then there are times when it tries to be both. By trying to leave less to the imagination and explaining too much, the film brings up more questions than it can answer. But all in all, if you can get past that slightly frustrating lapse in storytelling, what you've got is a remarkably made horror film. And if you've seen the film, you know just how good Lupita Nyong'o is in it. Oh my goodness, somebody give this lady another Oscar. Because she not only plays two roles in this film, she could win Best Actress for playing either of the roles by themselves, but she plays both. And she gives this performance that is menacing and unsettling and at the same time heartbreaking and genuinely scary. It's absolutely marvelous. And if she's not in the Oscar contention this year, I am going to flip something over. 
okay? We'll see what's around me at the time. It might be a table, might be a car, I don't know. But I'm going to flip something over. Another film that surprised me this year was Zombieland Double Tap. Um, probably actually the most surprising movie of this year for me, because I did not expect a 10 years later sequel to freaking Zombieland to be anywhere near as good as it ended up being. I thought it would be another in the trend of these belated, empty sequels trying to cash in on nostalgia with no movie to back it up. But that simply wasn't the case. The cast seemed to be having a ball, and they seemed to be really genuinely excited to be there, and they bring this infectious energy with them that you just can't shake. And the script is, you know, mostly pretty solid. There are a couple jokes that kind of run too long. But I couldn't help noticing, but it's impossible to miss all of the references to Terminator 2 in this film. And I don't think that any of those references are an accident. I think that writer-director Ruben Flesher took from the playbook of Terminator 2 to make this film. For one, he gave the characters uh, different motivations and character arcs than they had in the first, so that it wasn't just a rehash. Um, but those different motivations and character arcs still felt very in character for them. And then th this is where it draws the most comparison to Terminator 2. It gives the heroes a bigger, badder bad guy to fight. So the bad guy is bigger and badder. The characters have different motivations and character arcs from the first film to avoid being just a rehash. And there are a bunch of references to the first film. Um, some are tiring, some are just fun. Uh, but it seems like they took a lot of cues from James Cameron in making Zombieland 2 the best sequel that it could be. And personally, I prefer it to Zombieland 1. I think it's better. I know there are a lot of people for whom that movie is, you know, a classic and a masterpiece, and, you know, power to you. I like Zombieland, but I think I like Zombieland Double Tap more. I think Zombieland 2 is the feel-good movie of 2019, which is a really weird thing to say and not something I would have guessed I'd be saying at the end of the year, but I think that's true. Ooh, Knives Out. Ooh, Knives Out. Knives Out is freaking marvelous. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go watch that movie today. Alright? Knives Out proved definitively that Ryan Johnson is one of the most talented and versatile filmmakers going today. He took this classic mystery whodunit setup and at every opportunity, just when you think it's going to go a certain way, he flipped it on its head. And the result is this absolutely thrilling mystery that keeps you on the edge of your seat at every turn. And it's funny, it's well-made, it's well-paced, and the script is sharp, the dialogue crackles, and Daniel Craig gives one of the best performances of his career, and... I'd say probably the second funniest. His funniest performance was in Logan Lucky. And if you've seen that movie, you know that that's true. That I'm just speaking an absolute truth. But anyway, Knives Out 
is a fantastic mystery. And if you love movies, especially old movies, you have to give that a look. Let's see, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, Rise of Skywalker is the worst Star Wars movie to come out since Attack of the Clones. It is messy, it's confused, character choices and motivations make no sense a lot of the time, and the film has a hard time reaching the emotional highs of the original trilogy, and even parts of the prequels, as maligned as they are. Uh, also, a lot of the plot relies on a plot contrivance so stupid that it's hard to verbalize. Without giving too much away, this plot point involves a dagger and is, without a doubt, the dumbest and most brain-dead choice ever made in a Star Wars movie. It's shameful, and J.J. Abrams should be ashamed. There are some good things to be said about the film, though. Uh, the dynamic between Rey and Kylo Ren is still incredibly intriguing, and that plot is wrapped up uh, pretty nicely. And Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver are the best they have been in these roles. It's really a lot of fun to watch. Um, and while it's easy to be hard on some parts of this movie, the second half of the film is a lot better than the first, and leaves the Skywalker saga on a note that is good, if quite bittersweet. Uh, whatever your feelings were on The Last Jedi, it took the series in a new direction that didn't rely on cheap nostalgia and recycled plots from better movies. Um, Rise of Skywalker, on the other hand, exemplifies the worst fears that many had when Disney announced a new Star Wars trilogy, feeling like it was written by a Last Jedi-hating thread on Reddit instead of screenwriters who actually cared about the mythology of the series expanding. And it's actually a likable movie, but it should have been great. And it would have been if Abrams had not taken the cowardly route of playing it too safe. And the last film we're going to be talking about tonight was maybe the most distressing that I saw this year. Marriage Story. Alright, now there's this tricky realm of storytelling where the story is so hyper-realistic and the characters feel so much like they could exist in our world that you could call the movie too real. Now, Noah Baumbach, I think I'm saying that right? Noah Baumbach lives in that realm. He lives in that too real territory. And Marriage Story may be the finest film that has come out of his career thus far. This film looks at divorce in a loving American family in a raw and unflinching way that very few other divorce movies have ever even dared to come close. In this film, we have a pair of tour de force performances by both Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. They play the couple that's central to the story, and each of them very clearly dug into the depths of their soul to act these parts. Um, there's this one climactic argument scene in the film that has produced several memes that takes place in the middle of the film where 
Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's characters just finally have it out. And it is a brutal argument that takes place over like 10 minutes. And I found out that they actually filmed that argument in its entirety on every take. So imagine that. Imagine that you're on that set and you're watching these two people argue for 10 minutes. And then when they've reached the end of this grueling emotional scene, the director says, all right, let's do it again. And they did this 50 times, okay? Over two days, they did this 50 times. That would be nuts. That would be absolutely nuts. And Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson just go all in for it. Coming from a divorced family myself, it was impossible not to see some of myself or my parents in the characters. And that can make this movie very hard to watch. So while the excellent performances, the brutal script, and the pristine production make this film rewarding and essential viewing, there are a lot of people who will have a hard time watching it more than once. If you go into Marriage Story with an open mind and a brave heart, uh, you will be rewarded. And that's something I can promise you. And that about wraps it up for the day. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to Real People. Um, Next time, we're going to be having a guest on just talking about some more movies. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast, whether you follow it on Spotify or go to anchor.fm and subscribe to it. Make sure you subscribe to it. Make sure you share it and get all your friends who love movies to start listening. All right, because we have a lot of movies to discuss and a lot of people to discuss them with. And I am so excited to get this going properly. So thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next time.